0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. This is Control! You're listening to Tony Telecasts from The Ensemblist, the only podcast that shows you Broadway from the inside out. I'm Mo Brady. And I'm Aaron Albano. Welcome back, baby, to our <laughs> mini series about the Tony Awards, bringing you all the drama behind the drama of a theater season in Broadway history.
1: In each podcast episode, we watch a telecast of a previous Tony Awards. Not only the performances, but the opening and speeches to see how it reflects the season as a whole. So let's dive in and talk about the 1987 Tony Awards.
0: The 41st annual Tony Awards were held June 6, 1987 at the Mark Hellinger Theatre, with Angela Lansbury hosting for her third time. Heading into the ceremony, Me and My Girl and Le Miserables were neck and neck leading the pact for the most nominations, with 13 and 12 respectively. Behind them were Starlight Express with seven nominations and Rags with five. Although the category was titled Best Revival in a Play or a Musical, this season there were no musicals nominated for that award.
1: I noticed that too.
0: So aside from the telecast itself, what was happening at the time, Aaron?
1: The 1986-87 season was smack dab in the middle of a volatile time, but not particularly bombastic itself. We found ourselves in the middle of President Ronald Reagan's second term with the Cold War, the war on drugs, and the AIDS epidemic raging. Interestingly enough, a week after this telecast is when Reagan makes his famous speech in Berlin where he asks Gorbachev to tear down this wall. Also, this season occurred during the end of the Iran-Contra affair, a political scandal that embroiled the country for about a year and a half, where the Reagan administration was found to be bartering arms for seven U.S. hostages in the Middle East. Gotta love a quid pro quo. On Broadway, the British invasion was here. With three out of four of the best musical nominees being British Imports, Cats Alive and Well at the Winter Garden, and Phantom opening in the West End and waiting in the wings for their Broadway house, it seemed like Cameron Mackintosh, the Royal Shakespeare Company, and all their contemporaries were taking over the Great White Way.
2: Step into the world of power, loyalty,
0: All right, let's it's so good to be back. We're back <laughs> watching the 1987 Tonys. It reminded me how much work it is to like watch and research a season and highlight the Tony awards, but also how fun it is. Like it's just like I feel like we like really get in there with this mini series.
1: Well, and it also like after such like heavy heavy depth from the Fosse verdon series, it was nice to just watch some Tony's again.
0: <laughs> sure. There's obviously a lot to each Tony season, especially the way that we're sort of like dissecting each telecast, mm-hmm. but
1: Fosse Verdon
0: was a lot denser <laughs> in terms oh, of... 100%. <laughs> so as we are want to do, let's pour one out for the non-nominated musicals. There were six this season. Okay. So we had Raggedy Ann, which was a children's musical based on the book, 15 previews and five performances at the Nederlander, Into the Light, 16 previews and three performances at the Neil Simon. Smile, which had 11 previews and 48 performances at the Lunt Fontaine. This is a sort of famous Marvin Hamless musical that had Jodie Benson from The Little Mermaid in the leading role.
1: This is the, like, beauty queen one that mm-hmm. Howard yeah. Ashman and Marvin Hamlis did. Yes. They talk about it in the Howard documentary. Yes, exactly. Got it. Okay. So
0: those three, in terms of new musicals per se... O Coward and Stardust were two reviews. Um, Both had 16 previews. O Coward had 56 performances at the Helen Hayes. Stardust had 101 at the Biltmore. Stardust featured both Jim Walton and Andre DeShields in the cast. Fierce. All right. And then the sixth was uh, staging a revival of the Mikado, uh, which had three previews and 37 performances at the Virginia. A couple of things I think are interesting. One is that certainly the Mikado could have been a revival. I mean, I guess it's not really a musical per se. Because it's an opera, right? It's originally an opera? Okay. But was not nominated? Yeah. Even though there were nominations for the show. That's...
1: yes, 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 yes.
0: And then... I think the Rags nomination is fascinating Mm. because Rags only ran for 18 previews and four performances. So it's right up there with these other quick hits of Raggedy Ann and Into the Light. Uh You know, Smile ran- Longer, essentially. 12
2: times as
0: long as the Fontan. And so it's very interesting to me that Rags sort of gets celebrated in this way, gets to be on the telecast, and yet Smile gets-
1: Nothing. Boot.
0: Smile. Smile is not nominated for anything.
1: Uh huh. And was that? Were any of these still running at the time of the telecast, or had they all closed by then?
0: None of these six were running at this time. The Mikado and Stardust both closed in May, but Smile had closed all the way back in January. So, I,
1: do you know Rags? I don't know Rags at all.
0: I basically know this performance of Rags from watching it on YouTube, which
1: is a strong performance, and I almost it almost makes me wonder, like. Is it the one time when, like, the art of a show, like, carried it into the Tonys? Because, like, you have Smile, which is Marvin Hamlish and Howard Ashman. So it's not like Stephen Schwartz's name had the clout above Marvin Hamlish to get it nominated over the other. But if people loved this show, it just didn't sell a whole lot of tickets. This is the same amount of
0: performances as Carrie. How do you? How do people even have time to celebrate a show like? But that?
1: again, if 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 it's one of those shows where like it was very loved by a community that just didn't have money to go and see it more, like I don't know. It's you're right. It feels weird compared to how we sort of view closed shows now. And this is
0: less than two years before the Mark Hellinger has its last Broadway show in it which was Legs Diamond, which closed in February of 1989. So maybe it's also just the theater. Maybe,
1: because then after that, they welcomed Jesus. (laughs) It is now the Times Square Church, everyone.
0: Whenever you see those listicles of like the spaces that used to be a Broadway theater, Uh the Mark Kellinger Theater always, I think, is like number one on that list because it it's still in operation. It still greets crowds of hundreds every week. It still has Um, a
1: marquee for their Christmas show every year.
0: And other than the like multi decade lease that the church has on the building, it is, it also feels like it's the building that is most ripe
2: just to return to Broadway as
1: well. Oh, fair. That's true. That's true.
0: This opening number, which was like a mockery of itself and yet somehow worked and yet somehow didn't for me.
1: Well, can I tell you my favorite thing about this in that vein of you describing it that way? I thought it was very cute. It had severe like opening to Easter Bonnet, opening to Red Bucket Follies vibes.
0: It did have like a Broadway Cares Benefit Mm -hmm. move to it. Yes, for sure. For sure. So what, what this is, is Bill Irwin comes out and he introduces, it's like a textbook report about the elements of an opening number. He talks about the different design elements, and then a chorus comes out. And he's sort of like guiding through how to make an opening number without ever actually doing what we would think of as an opening number.
1: It's very Man in Chair from Jazzy Chaparral. Oh,
0: sure. Yes. And it does introduce Angela Lansbury, our host, very well. She comes yes. down a ground staircase to applause. I thought the build-up to that was great and funny, but it is funny that it is kind of not a great opening. <laughs> I mean, there's like no, <laughs> there's no meat to it. You know, no. Like I enjoyed it, but there wasn't anything to grab onto.
1: I mean, one thing, it was really short, which was great, and we just got st- straight into the telecast. But I was just like, this is a fascinating concept that i feel like would never happen today
0: the difference between these sort of 1970s and 1980s telecasts is that they were much more about the theater right yes yeah, now yeah it's absolutely. much more
1: about broadway ah uh, all of it. All, all of it feels very like here's a window into our industry and now it's more about like the commercialization of our industry
0: As you said, this is the British invasion. Mm -hmm. It is here in full force. One thing that I kept thinking about was how we watched the next Tony Awards, right? The next Tony Awards was Into the Woods versus Phantom. Mm -hmm. And that was really pitched as British musical theater versus American musical theater. And I feel like in the 1987 Tony Awards, we're getting primed for
1: that. Sure. we're
0: seeing all of these British artists. Like if
1: 1988 was like, America's like fight back. This was the one where the U.S. was like, wait, hold on. What are you all doing here? (laughs) But what was interesting is that like from, I forget what year it was, but when Trevor Nunn gives that speech, I think it's when he won for Nicholas Nickleby, where he's like, thank you for welcoming us. Thank you for opening your gates to us and I hope there's more collaboration between the US and Britain or whatever. Oh yeah. I feel like that sentiment existed for the most part except when John Napier won his awards.
0: John Napier, the famed scenic and costume designer who did a lot of these British mega musicals. Yeah. He
1: wins he wins twice this year. I think he wins for costume for Starlight and then he wins for set for Les Mis. He comes up twice and is a dick both times. He's a monster. It's the grossest thing I've ever seen. The
0: first time he finishes his very short speech, which is for costumes, and he's like, well, there's one, and walks off.
1: Yeah, and then leaves. But then we get back to scenic and he wins for Les Mis. First off, he starts his speech with, which one is this? Which I'm like, ew. Ew. But then he then goes off the rails And talks about, like, how he needs to take a moment to say how he wishes Starlight Express was nominated for this award. Which, at first, not knowing any history before researching, I thought he was, like, shouting out somebody else. Because it's very rare when, like, a costumer is the same person as the set designer. So I was just like, that's pretty fierce that he, like, is giving accolades in his win to... Someone else who maybe deserves a lot of acclaim, also. And then you look up the facts.
0: He's saying, I should have been nominated twice.
1: Correct. And he's like, mad about it. I'm just like, it is a big ew. Like, fuck off, John Napier. Like, get out of here. We don't need you or want you. Give me that statue back. I'm
0: very sure the scenic designer for me and my girl would have been happy
1: to take that award home. Luckily, it was like a unique energy that didn't stay.
0: John Napier caused the British invasion backlash. By himself.
1: himself. (laughs) Yes, literally by himself. Everybody was like pissed and Sondheim was like, I'm going to write Into the Woods just to spite you. Let's talk about more gracious awards.
0: Gwen Verdon and Bob Fosse present the Tony Awards for Best Direction of a Musical and Choreography together. It was so funny to see them come out. like After we've experienced Fosse, Verdon, you and I, I was like, is that really them? It was so wonderful. And Trevor Nell is super classy when he gets his yes. award for Best Direction of a Musical. And he says just to be on the stage with these two is a gift.
1: Yes, just opposite of John Napier. <laughs> just, just the most gracious, most kind, not full of himself at
0: all. One other thing he says is it won't be long before this partnership will become a household name. Bubil and Schoenberg. Yeah. And I was like, well, there you go. You were right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> not wrong. Not wrong at all. His, his whole speech was really... I called it the partnership speech. It was very cool to hear him like call out all of these partnerships. The one thing that I did want to ask you about though is his final point. He's imploring this partnership between artists and critics, where he's like, there should be more of a partnership instead of this animosity between them. I think it was a commercial break right after. And I literally was like, do I agree with that? Do you agree with that, Mo? I can't decide.
0: I'm more interested in the fact that critics have so much sway over people at the Tony Awards, right? Like, we know that the influence of critics has gone down in the age of the internet and to the age of social media on top of that. But we used to have dedicate Tony Awards to the influence of critics. Like, we used to stage entire ceremonies about them and people used to mention them in their speeches. And you just can't imagine that anymore no. in the same way. You know, like,
1: yeah, I mean, and it's definitely we used to name theaters after them. Oh, right? that's super real. Fair, that's true. I mean, but it's it, like it was just interesting because it was this very earnest plea of like, can't we all just get along? And I was just like, when you do have an honest critique of a show, that's maybe not necessarily so laden with digs and jibes. That's when we can attribute the most credibility to them is because they're independent, right? And whereas if there was like this super duper partnership.
0: Often when we see a love letter in terms of a review today, we think, oh, that's impartial. I don't necessarily trust it.
1: Correct. Because we want
0: to have that kind of perspective. Yeah. Let's talk about how we did plays. This on the spectrum of not a lot of plays to a lot of plays on screen was
1: a lot of plays. <laughs> mm-hmm. The scenes are back. We got scenes again, which was great. So this one, we got Angela Lensbury announcing and sort of summarizing the first two, which were Broadway bound and Fences, and then they performed their scenes. And then later in the telecast, Mary Tyler Moore comes out and describes the second two, which was Coastal Disturbances and La Laison Desjardes. Again, I love the scenes. I'm, I'm mad we don't do this as much because every time it's two for two for me.
0: I can understand how they are like bathroom breaks in a lot of ways, but it does really help you understand what the play is, like what the vibe of the play is. I couldn't have told you a thing about Coastal Disturbances if I hadn't have seen Annette Benning and Tim Daly in a sandbox and Tim Daly's running around in a very well-fitting pair of jeans covering up Annette Benning in sand. So with uh, as she delivers a monologue about indians on the beach and Oof. braves surfing on total balls like I, was like I was like this is why i've never heard of this play because
1: <laughs> because we this, are not doing
0: this anymore this
1: is not happening but i i love this fences scene mm. i mean it's like an iconic fences scene and i remember i think there's like a comparison video online of this clip And then like Denzel Washington doing it in the movie. And it shows just how strong, how different their takes are, but how strong the writing is no matter what. But it's a great scene. You got two legends on stage. Courtney B. Vance and James Earl Jones. Correct. And it's so good. It's, I love the plays. I love plays. I love the plays. And we got to see Snape doing some La Laison d'Ageroux. Oh, with Lindsay Duncan. Yeah.
0: Good, good, good people in these play clips, too, for sure. Yeah. Hey, we get not only one lifetime tribute in the 1987 Tony Awards, but we get two.
1: We get two. (laughs) We get one
0: for, we get the 100th birthday of George Abbott, which feels like a strange afterthought. It's actually the last thing. It's the finale of the show. Right. And then earlier we get a memorial to Robert Preston. Mm Mm-hmm. I guess the Robert Preston was more of what I expect in terms of a, a tribute, having yeah. seen the Imperial Medley and so many sure. other things. We see you know, great Broadway stars singing music of the past, things we don't see anymore mm-hmm. on the Tony Awards. Bernadette Peters sings Time Heals Everything from Mac and Mabel. Barbara Cook sings Till There Was You from The Music Man. There's a performance of 76 trombones with a full children's band coming in from the audience. With
1: literally 76 trombones. There were so many people on stage. It was nuts. And then after... They do
0: 76 trombones with literally 76 trombones. <laughs> Mary Martin comes out, tells a story of working with Robert on the film New Yorktown and sings this house from I Do, I Do. Like, it's not a very particularly well-structured piece, but it is like a
1: massive memorial. It's a huge tribute. Did you enjoy it? I think I did. I mean, it was <laughs> great. I mean, I, 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 I enjoyed both of them. It was yet another feeling of like, this doesn't really feel like how we do this now. This felt like... We don't celebrate one person.
0: Yeah. Cindy Lauper sings time after time, and we see a bunch of photos up on... Or
1: we'll call out, frankly, the most famous person, and then we'll list all the other artists we've lost that year. Whereas this, one was a memorial, one was a birthday celebration, but they were both tributes, and they both ended with like, and here's a Tony for your... Stuff. This feels very Broadway Cares, Equity like Fights AIDS Benefit. In those things is when we truck out, like, the oldest living, like, Follies girl. Or, like, where we tribute the work of a legend in our field. We just don't have a Tony to give her. It's hilarious because, you know,
0: like, this is basically the time in which Broadway care. started. So, it, what you're oh. saying is that... Every Broadway Cares event feels like a Tony Awards from 30 years ago, which is like not entirely untrue. (laughs) Oh man.
1: Oops. Cool. (laughs) I mean, which, I mean, and again, it's still great TV and still a beautiful celebration. It's just not not the style of what we do now. What we do now. And it's so interesting to see, again, the show was over, like the way you and I know the show is that best play, best musical happen, and we're done. And yet, no, we're not because we ended with a birthday party.
0: That makes it feel super insidery. Yeah, because
1: also like that's not, you don't do an award show
0: without the biggest award at the end. They all do the big award at the end, or else you would turn off the TV after the big award. It's
1: wild. It's I
0: mean, it's great, but it's wild. Something that felt a lot more like what we do now, in my opinion, is. When host Angela Lansbury trots out B. Arthur for no apparent reason, and they perform Bosom Buddies.
1: No reason. <laughs> from
0: MAME, right? They do it with the choreography. This is 21 years after the show originally played on Broadway oh, or opened on Broadway. Sure. There's no reason to do it. And yet it is quite charming, I would say.
1: It's adorable. I feel like we should start like a list... Of clips where we just call the entire list like cute, but why? You know, here's
0: why. Why? In my opinion. Okay. If we didn't have them performing Bosom Buddies on the 1987 Tony Awards, we would not have a television clip of B. Arthur and Angela Lansbury singing Bosom Buddies, or at least in this high quality that you could do 21 years later after they had opened the show. Okay. I'm a little bit here for Robert Morse singing I Believe in You from How to Succeed and these oh sure yeah going, like, these moments. I'm happy with a couple of little drop-ins. Like, let's give these people that are icons in our industry, let's, like, see how they did it. If it's, like, a special guest thing, I don't know. To me, this makes more sense than a Robert Preston memorial or even a George Abbott birthday party like fair okay
1: like if we're going to establish the legacy of our industry this early on like yeah because 21 years ago this Tonys weren't on TV yet mhm okay fair fair, fair 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 okay i concede
0: that's the end of our first part of our 1987 Tony telecast, this time around we asked on Instagram which Tony ceremonies you, our listeners, wanted to review and discuss. And so we thank Linda for this great suggestion of looking back on the 1987 telecast.
1: To join us for part two of our recap about 1987, come meet us on Friday. The ensemble list was produced today by me, Aaron Albano, and me, Mo Brady.
0: Special thanks to Wasif Sammy for the background research on this week's Tony season. Please rate and review The Ensemblist wherever you listen to podcasts, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at bpn.fm, the home of Broadway Podcast Network.
1: Our Patreon members have on-demand access to our full archive, including full conversations with our guests and early access to episodes. You can support us for between $5 and $20 a month at patreon.com slash Thanks
0: for listening. Until next time.